Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally Yours, Mentally Yours. Hello and welcome back to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Rachel, Metro's lifestyle editor, and on today's episode, I'll be chatting to author Paul Bent about fatherhood, mental health, and how men can be impacted by birth trauma too. His book, Help, I'm Going to Be a Dad, is out now. But before that, I've been hearing from you. As always, our lovely listeners have been getting in touch to share what they've been doing to support their mental health this week. As soon as I start to feel that funk and I'm maybe feeling a little bit down or a little bit anxious, I find just getting outside, breathing in fresh air, sort of reminding myself that we are connected to nature, I I find that's a really good way to sort of get out of your own head. I'd say a huge part for me is being more aware of how I'm using my phone. So I really try not to have my phone just before I go to bed so I don't have lights going in my eyes. And to be honest, I always find I sleep better, which always improves my mood. And I always make sure that I don't look at my phone for the first half an hour when I wake up. So I just have a bit of time to sort of get into the real world and not start worrying. Mentally Paul, I'm so glad you've come to join me on the podcast. You've written a book and an absolutely brilliant article for Metro, which people can go and read on the site right now. And I very much encourage them to. Um, It's all about your experience when your son made quite a dramatic and a bit of a scary entrance into the world. Um, And when I read it, I honestly think it's the first time I've heard a guy talk about their experience of birth trauma before. Um, so I salute you. It was just a brilliant piece. And that's why I wanted to talk to you more about it. But before we get into all of that, um, I want to go right back to the very beginning. How did you feel when you first found out you were going to be a father? I felt amazing. 
But for some context, it was I, in previous relationships, I've got to that stage before and it was, I was too, either too young or she wasn't ready. So there was disappointment attached to that moment. So the initial, the initial feeling was, oh my God, like amazing, scary. Um, it wasn't planned. So that was the initial moments. Um, when obviously she said, yeah, she wants to keep it, you know, a woman's choice as well, of course. Um, I was happy. I was absolutely ecstatic. Yeah. It's a mix, a mix of emotions, but mostly very happy. Something you've spoken about in your piece and the book is really wanting to be a good father and not just a good father, but a great father. And you touched on your own dad being absent in some of your childhood and the reasons for you wanting to be such a great dad. I also got the impression reading your words that you were maybe putting quite a lot of pressure on yourself. Um, would you say that that's fair? More than fair. Um, what ends up happening is um, we end up revisiting, well, I end up revisiting my childhood um, through this process, which is why I wrote the book. And all the things I didn't get to experience with my dad. So they automatically form a list of what my son's going to have. And so, yeah, definitely pressure. I put way too much pressure on myself to be a good father. Um, but that's because I'm so scared that of my son. Um, experiencing what I have to go through, which don't get me wrong, it wasn't major things, but it's just those seminal moments where your friends' dads are at the football supporting their sons, and you don't have anyone there, or just you know, if I fall, there's no one to catch me. Yes, my mum's there, but I'm talking about more from a father figure sense, um, someone I can model off and role model off. Um, it just wasn't there, um, or waiting at the window when he said he would come to take me somewhere and just not show up. And my mum's saying, Paul, like, Paul, I don't think your dad's coming. It's okay, don't worry, son. And then I start lashing out at mum. So for me, is I don't overpromise my son things, even now. Um, he's three and a half now. So if, I, if I've got something planned, I won't tell him until the last minute. Because I don't want to tell him. So he gets excited and I have to let him down. Um, so it definitely forms my day-to-day parenting. Made you very, very cautious, it seems. But no, it's lovely that you've got all that stuff in mind. As you mentioned, um, your little boy is three now, three and a half, did you say? Um, So I know that Lauren's pregnancy was relatively smooth sailing at the beginning until it suddenly wasn't. Um, Can you talk me through what happened and when you both started to realise that something might not be quite right health-wise? So again, perfect pregnancy, no morning sickness. It was brilliant. So we planned sort of like a last holiday before uh, Hunter was due. It was due um, Valentine's Day, actually, February. So we thought, okay, it's December. You know, go to like a place with, with Christmas markets, have like a baby moon, it's called. We chose Amsterdam. Um, we got checked out before we went. Doctor said, yep, yeah, absolutely fine, go. So we took a train because we didn't want to risk flying because of um, good blood pressure issues. After about the second day there, she was getting puffy, like her face was puffy, her, her, her legs were puffy. I was taking the mickey, um, <laughs> puff mummy and stuff like that because I just thought oh, I was nothing. But then, <laughs> but then later that evening we came home from a restaurant and yeah, she started feeling a pain in her upper right rib and um, yeah, running baths at 2am, just in pain. Um, so we called uh, 111. They said, look, it's probably just symptoms of pregnancy. She shouldn't be too bad. Um, you know, it'll be fine. I woke up again at 4 a.m. and she's like pacing around the room. I was like, no, 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 no. Something's wrong. Um, so we got the nearest or the soonest um, train back to London, dropped off at the um, hospital. 
And then the doctor said, you're not going anywhere. Um, you're staying. We think you have preeclampsia. They ran tests. Her blood um, pressure was sky high. Her platelets low. Um, they said, yeah, you're seriously ill. And they, uh, the, 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 the serious doctors then came in, you know, three of them coming to the room. And I'm like, okay, it's getting real now. Um, and they say, yeah, we've got HELP syndrome, which is a severe complication of preeclampsia. And um, it's highly likely you'll be given birth um, within the next two days. Wow. For any listeners who don't know, can you just quickly tell us what preeclampsia is in a nutshell? Sure. Um, it's deemed a silent killer. Um, it's a hypertensive disorder that affects women, some pregnant women, around the 20-week mark or soon after the baby's delivered. Um, it's, called, it's caused by a defect in the placenta, which joins the mother and baby. Um, now, HELP syndrome is a, a complication of preeclampsia, and really the only solution to, to solve it is to give birth. Um, so you can imagine if you get detected HELP syndrome early in the pregnancy, week 20 or before, the chance of um, baby making it is severely affected and mum. Um, so, yeah, it's severe. I mean, women die all the time, not all the time, but around the world, you know, a significant portion of women die a year from this and babies. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a big thing. And no one really talks about it. How, how did it feel for you getting that diagnosis? What Can you talk me through what was going through your mind when you heard that for the first time? I was petrified, absolutely petrified. Um, <laughs> But I felt like I couldn't show how scared I was. So the dynamic is I've got Lauren, I've got her mum, my mum, a lot, a lot of females in the immediate family. And, um, you know, in, in, in the most traditional sense, I'm the man of the house. You know, I've got to appear, I felt I have to appear strong. Don't worry, guys, it will be fine. Be that positive person in the room, which I think is needed regardless. But inside, I'll, I'm just... I, I, I just want to cry. I want to talk to somebody. Um, also, I don't want to tell close friends because what if the worst happens and, you know, mum doesn't make or baby doesn't make it. That's just too much for me to comprehend. So I internalise it all. Whilst on the outside appear, it's fine. No worries. Don't worry, everyone. It's going to be fine. I know it is. And, yeah, inside, I just wanted to, <laughs> to, to, to cry. Yeah, yeah. Where do you think that need to be the strong male patriarch of the family comes from? Like, why do so many guys carry that pressure around with them? Yeah, for me, it's, it's, it's from childhood. It's, you know, you've got to be a strong man, um, look after family, be the man of the house, provide. Um, I know in this age we're in now, you know, that's sort of changing, you know, um, but it's still the underlying um, feeling amongst men is, you know, we do have an innate almost um, tribal need to protect and nurture and look after our family. Um, this is something that I've got. I'm proud of it. I want to. I feel more like, yes, you know, I've paid more you know, I provide a safe environment for my family and to thrive. Um, but it has to be balanced. And I think the balance is then we still can feel like we can open up and show our emotions of things, which we don't do as men, which we need to be better at doing. Um, and especially since the books come out, so many men have come up to me and then to start offloading um, because they feel more comfortable to because I've shown vulnerability. So as soon as I've shown vulnerability or men show vulnerability, it makes the other man feel comfortable in giving their sort of feelings and their sort of um, background. And, um, yeah, absolutely. That's amazing that people have been in touch. What kind of things have you been hearing from men? Has it been all about fatherhood or a mixed bag? Mixed bag. So this book covers so much um, 
but it's a mirrored journey of they didn't feel included in the process. And I've been there. I mean, I'm about the first few appointments. It's, you know, and, and rightfully, look, the woman's going through it. It's her, it's her body. She's delivering. Of course, she's the most important person out of, you know, the partners. But at the same time, we still, men are important. We are we're important for the family structure, um, the dynamic, and making the partner feel safe and comfortable and have no other worries and things. So at the same time, we still need to be looked at in our eyes and consulted. And um, I feel like, you know, some, some pregnancies aren't planned. Couples aren't necessarily together. They're trying to make it work. And I feel it doesn't help if the man goes along that journey and gets a tone of feeling like they're not needed anyway. It's just too easy for them to go. Well, look, I'm not even needed. They don't even talk to me. I'm going for. I'm going for the exit door. Yeah, absolutely. So your son was born via emergency C-section. I know he was premature and spent some time in intensive care, but thankfully was okay in the end. Um, but that trauma, like it doesn't go away overnight. And you've written about how you carried that with you for a while, and you noticed it showing up in your life in different ways. Can you tell me a bit about how it impacted you or how you started to notice it in kind of the days and weeks and months after his birth? I've been watching programs on TV, I don't know, like a film, and they start crying for no reason. And it wasn't even the emotional part of the film, they start crying. Or if anyone showed me a, a, a bit of kindness, something that to them would be just nothing. Oh, Paul, how are you feeling, Paul? That would just trigger me. Because it's almost as if somebody sees me someone notices, someone's going beyond and actually caring, how are you, Paul? Because I think you can go along the journey feeling like, hello, like, does anyone care about me? You know, I'm spinning all these plates, like real life plates. Buying a house, selling a house, that's got issues. Promotion at work, um, making sure that office is doing what it needs to do. Um, pregnancy, all the things that, one of those things can cause stresses on a person. Five or six at the same time. And then the, the this part is probably a bit toxic and it's probably the way I'm built is I then see it as a challenge. I'm like, okay, let's see how much I can deal with and make it look easy. That's how I processed it all. But that comes at a cost. And that cost was um, me putting on loads of weight, not looking after myself, um, getting real snappy with people, especially my mum, my sister, very snappy, um, Lauren as well. Um, and it was when my mum, my sister said to me, like, Paul, what's going on? Like, this isn't you barely smile anymore and I remember seeing a photo of me at Christmas um, after one year after Hunter was born and I was just sitting there as a picture and there's nothing behind my eyes I'm just almost like going through the motions I'm just mentally physically just drained and tired and at that point I still didn't want to talk to anyone <laughs> I still didn't want to talk to them but I felt like I needed to channel my emotions so I thought let me just put pen to paper I started going on my notes on my phone, just jotting down feelings. And then it just evolved into, no, I've got a story to tell. So is that really the way you've started to rebuild yourself and look after your mental health for you writing about it was was the answer? It was. It was almost as if I was lying down on the therapy couch, but also asking myself the questions. So I was like two people asking me the question and it forced me to build deeper. At first, my writing was just superficial about what happened it then got very deep you know trauma well you know what else affects my my life or why do i have this shield that i feel i need to give to the world um, what other traumatic moments in my, in my life happened that formed the way i am today 
I'm thankful for it. Plenty of times crying at the laptop as I'm typing away. Um, but actually now I feel like I'm in a much better place to be able to talk about it and not get as emotional. I, I still get triggered, um, but I feel like I've, I've dealt with a lot of the rocks that we all carry around in our invisible bag. Because we all do. It could be heartbreak, love, um, work, stress, depression, whatever it might be, we carry around in this invisible bag and, and if there's too much in there that doesn't get dealt with, it becomes very heavy. Um, men have the highest suicide rates. It's all linked. We just don't talk enough about it. We don't offload some of these rocks. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You also speak about race in your book and how being a black man maybe adds a whole other layer to this. Do you think race maybe influenced your recovery from this big trauma or your perception of accessing help, anything like that? I think I think definitely in the black community there's a um a um there's like these cultural tropes of um you know man up um um don't ask big people questions um just handle it um I think those kind of things do perpetuate silence and make me feel like you're not um confident to be able to speak about these things race um it's a tricky one because I definitely saw areas. Best, lazy and sloppy, but, you know, definitely microaggressions. So for context, um, a few things happened. Um, and again, I could be wrong in how operationally it works, but I remember um, on the incubator where my son was, and it's in the special care unit, it had Lauren's last name there rather than mine, which I get, you know, it's identifying mommy or baby. But again, that's like a chip on the shoulder. That just feels like, well, hello, I'm dad. I'm here. I'm present. There is definitely a stigma of absent black fathers. And my thing is, ever since Lauren got to the hospital, I was sleeping on that blue chair beside her bed. I wouldn't leave the hospital. I was there. I was present. I was there before work, after work, going back and forth. I was present. And I wanted it to be clear that I was present. So there was that instance that sort of, you know, annoyed me. But then the Red Book, which is the book where it has all the baby's information, ethnicity, um, weight, it's important. We carry around with you for years, um, jabs, that kind of thing. For ethnicity, um, one of the nurses put white on there. And that one, I couldn't let slide. I was like, why? Surely one, you ask the parents, but two, I'm here every you thought, are you, are you sure? <laughs> we just, yeah. I, I couldn't believe it. I said, Lauren, have you seen this? And she, and she said, what? I said, look, ethnicity, they put white there. Did you know? No. And I was like, well, who did it? I ended up, there's an inquest. I was like, this is even, even, um, because I'm in a mixed relationship, even, um, both black parents who have a premature baby by almost three months, the baby will come out fair. So it's just a sloppy, lazy, um, uh, thing for them to have done. They apologize profusely, but again, that's just an example. Um, and ultimately, I made sure I knew all the nurses. And I, was, I basically lived there for the best part of six weeks. So I just found that a hard pill to swallow, um, that one. And again, could I be could I be angry? So I'm getting angry and I'm feeling like, oh, here you go, Paul, you're fitting the black angry man narrative. Um, angry black man. So it's just, yeah. No, no, it's, it's understandable that you would feel that way. Why do you think it's so important for men to talk about this stuff more, particularly if their partners had a tricky pregnancy, a tricky birth? Why do you want to get dads talking about it? Because when we need it, we need it for our own mental health. 
um, and also to provide understanding for women as well, because we don't speak enough about it. Um, you're not going to know some of our woes or things that we go through through that process um, and hopefully prevent men doing things they shouldn't do, like prevent them doing silly things like you know, suicide and stuff because they feel like they can't go nowhere, they can't speak. Also, there, there, is, there is still a, a notion that, you know, men talk about their emotions, they're weak and they're feeble and they're soft. Especially when you even look at now with what's going on with Andrew Tate and everything around that, um, which is the opposite of, you know, man up. Um, and also what women are deemed to be attractive. Women don't want to see men crying and stuff. Again, it just perpetuates a vicious cycle where men won't feel that they're able to talk about things. Um, and that, that has to change. That's the biggest strength for me. A man being able to be open and express himself is, is, is a strength, not a weakness. Yeah, definitely. It's beneficial for men and women. I do not understand the people who say otherwise. Don't listen to them. If you're listening to those people, they're the wrong people. <laughs> they are the wrong, wrong people. people. <laughs> um, how would you say your mental health is now? You've been on this kind of amazing journey. It's a bit of a cliche phrase, but you have. How's how? Yeah, how are you feeling today? I feel great. Um, I didn't realize that even my mental impact was actually suffering. I didn't realize until after the fact and I was like oh no I was definitely elements of depressed and also a baby bringing a baby in dynamic in a relationship it affects the relationship you have with your partner as well like puts a massive strain on that understanding both sets of roles now the whole thing shifts um a woman shifts massively you know I'm, I'm not talk for Lauren but I know that women lose their identity they're more than just a mum they had their careers before they had who they are um, and I think that gets lost, but also there's an understanding that needs to be formed where a man has to go off to work. He's not going on holiday. Like he's not going to some resort where he, you know, is, 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 is choosing to go. So he can't be at home. We would love to be at home. So something needs to be looked at with, you know, um, paternal leave and sorting that out because I would have loved nothing more than to be at home and take months on end, you know, with my baby. And that's, that's why lockdown was a blessing. For the majority, it was hell, and I get it, but lockdown for me was freedom. And I remember putting in the book, how can I be locked down to the confines of my house, but yet feel so free? And I did. It gave me a chance to bond with my boys, to skin. I loved lockdown. But it got ripped away from me within two months because I had to be back at work because the property industry was the first to reopen. And again, I had to, had to leave. So it's, yeah, I had to untangle and do all and then almost feel like an imposter because all the things I said I wanted to do for my son, I feel like I can't do because I have to get back to the rat race of work. Is that constant balance between your work identity and your home identity that I think is just so hard for parents to juggle? You've given us so much to think about. Thank you. The final question I've got for you is one we give to all of our podcast guests. And that's what's the most important lesson you've learned about mental health that you want to share with our listeners? There's people out there that are willing to listen and help. Um, just to, the first step to me is just talking. Like, just talk, talk to anyone, somebody. Um, you'd be surprised. There's people out there that want to listen, and you're not in it on your own. You're not. Um, as human beings, we, we like to, I think we've got more in common than we do different. I think sometimes we feel like we know it's you know, completely different from one another, but not. We have the same. In, in essence, values and wants and needs to be loved, supported, praise, recognition. We all value those things. Um, we all want to be listened to. We all want to have a voice. 
Um, so I think first step is talk to somebody, be a friend, a work colleague. Um, if you'll find a problem, problem half. Is a problem shared is problem shared. half, but I like your way too. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Thank you so much to Paul for being our guest on Mentally Yours. Again, his book, Help, I'm Going to Be a Dad, is out now. If you've been affected by anything you've heard today, please call the Samaritans on 116-123. You can find us on our Facebook group, Mentally Yours, and on Twitter at MentallyYRS. And get involved. Tell us what you've been doing this week to look after your mental health. Message at Pineapple Audio Production on Instagram with your voice note. And thank you all for tuning in. Don't forget to follow and review for more podcast episodes coming your way soon. Mentally Yours is produced by Pineapple Audio Production. Bye for now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.